Hello, this is Aaron Saft on the MR Running Pains podcast. With 30 years of running experience and 20 years of coaching, I thought it time to share with you things I've learned and people I've met so that you can try things for yourself and see if they help your running. Thanks for joining me. Wrote this song while crew and Aaron on a 100-mile foot race through the trails in the rain and mud. How about that? Episode 50, the MR Running Pains podcast. Um, got a, a really cool episode today with two gentlemen that have just completed the Fierce Dragon 200-mile race, um, starting and finishing at Vogel State Park in Georgia. This race is insane. Um, you know, Aside from the fact that it's 200 miles long, these gentlemen climbed over 65,000 feet of elevation gain over the course of this race. Uh, 65,000 feet. We're going to talk all about that. Um, I'm talking with David Holliday and Michael Patton. Uh, Michael Patton has uh, been a longtime athlete that I've coached. He's done some tremendous things, and so has David. Um, really cool to talk to these two. Excited to share their, their story and their conversation with you. So without further ado, here they are. <music> I 
I've got two two guests here, as I uh, mentioned in my introduction. Um, Michael and David, how are you guys doing this today? Great. Same. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Um, Michael, uh, you and I are, are very uh, good friends, so um, let's, uh, let's let David go first. David, you want to introduce yourself and tell us uh, about your background? Um, all right. Uh, like I said, my name is David Holliday. I'm based in Cincinnati right now, but uh, most of my trail running life was spent in the Huntsville, Alabama area. Um, I didn't start running until I was 47. I'm 58 now. Um, did my first 5K in 2009 and my uh, first 50K in 2010 and first 100 in uh, 2012, and then just kept going. So. And what was your first 100? Uh, Umstead. Umstead. All right. And Good intro how, race. Yes. How many uh, How many hundreds have you done since? Um, if you count, um, well, the uh, Fierce Dragon would have been my 15th at the 100-mile distance or longer. Right on. Excellent. Some multi-days, uh, some standard format. Okay. Which multi-days have you done? Uh, a, a race for the ages a couple times. Um, I count Fierce Dragon as a multi-day. Uh, ball, ball state. I think that's all of them. Okay, that's that's enough. <laughs> that's uh, that's more than I've done. <laughs> awesome. And Michael, uh, why don't you go ahead and, and tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, my name is Michael Patton. I'm from Carnesville, Georgia. I started running around 2017. I was probably around 230 pounds and decided to lose some weight and. Like hunting, uh, listening to podcasts, and uh, Cam Haynes started talking about 100 miles, running 100 miles, and it kind of like sparked the interest. So I think I've done my first 10K in April, and then I've done a 100K in October. Ended up pulling at mile 40, and then let's see, I've done probably like 500 since then. Uh, my first hundred was Hellbender, your race. <laughs> That's a doozy. <laughs> yeah. So, and then Fierce Dragon was actually my very first one over a hundred miles, which I done Cruel Jewel and got lost at Cloud Splitter, which then ended up to be 110, 111 miles, somewhere around in there. So with bonus miles. <laughs> yeah, bonus miles. So that was they were interesting. But Fierce Dragon was really my first multi-day event. Fantastic. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, So Fierce Dragon 200. um, Let's talk a little bit about uh, the race itself. Um, Who wants to kind of go over the the beta of the race? Talk about the uh, distance and elevation gain, all the good stuff. I'll let Mike do that since he's most familiar with that, that area. All right, so unless you don't want to, <laughs> I, I can. It's fine. Uh, so you go across the Duncan Ridge Trail, which is notorious as probably the hardest trail in Georgia, because in Georgia, I was joking with my kids on the way there that we don't believe in switchbacks. It's go you go straight up over, then you go straight down. Switchbacks are for sissies. So. <laughs> I remember a conversation that we were having where you were regretting that remark. <laughs> yes, I was. Yes, I was. <laughs> so you go out to Skeena, which is 
around 21 miles, I think it is, around 21. And then you come back, but you don't go. You come down this just this dirt road that just beat you to death. I can't. I, I hate that dirt road now. And Perry, one of Perry's other races, the H nine fifty goes down that road. Now, so, that's, and and Perry Perry's the race director, correct? Yes, Perry Sebastian. Yes, he is the race director of and of the H nine fifty and the fierce dragon he's a uh, he's a very interesting person as i can say <laughs> right uh, so um it's on the duncan ridge trail which uh you know other people may know from races like um cruel jewel which you were just mentioning as well as um the uh georgia death race um the duncan ridge 50k which um i just did as well as you did michael this past uh November. Um, and, um, but the fierce dragon, uh, fierce dragon, uh, since, uh, was it, uh, it was 21 miles out. And then with the dirt road coming back, did you get exactly 40 miles per loop? I got 41 and a half. Uh, I think that's what everyone generally gets. And that's what Perry believes it to be. My okay. watch was a little higher consistently but uh i seem to be the only i have the only watch that gives me the extra two miles so <laughs> <laughs> there were roughly about 41 and a half miles uh per out and back or lollipop if you will um what are we talking for vert on each time each go i got thirteen thousand feet per time and I, I was getting about twelve thousand five hundred Okay, so somewhere between 12,500 and 13,000 feet of gain in roughly, we'll say, 42 miles, which is obviously insane. And you've got to do that five times is, is the, uh, the gist of this course, yeah? Yes, and you have, to, you have to do it in 24 hours. At 8 o'clock, you have to have the 40 miles done, and then you have to start again with another 40 miles. If you do not start that, you're not back at 8 o'clock, then you, you, you're not no more. You can't come they don't believe you'd be able to make the whole 200 miles. Got it. Got it. Um, talk about the, um, the trail a little bit, David. Um, have you ever been on that trail before? Uh, yeah, I've uh, done death race twice. Um, I did the H nine 50 miler in the summer of 19. And, uh, I was out there for a fun run self-supported in November, just to remind myself of the course and get a baseline time for the, what I thought the route to be for the race. So how close were you to that route? <laughs> um, I was dead on except for there's, there was, um, he had changed it a bit to where we uh, used a very small section of the uh, old Duncan Ridge trail that added some elevation. And then we had this little out and back of pointless elevation change as he calls it, where we had to punch a, um, our bib with a marker, a paper punch. And, uh, so there's probably, Another mile and a half, I think, is what that added to what I had run. Gotcha. Gotcha. So it wasn't anything confusing. So it was, the course was really well marked, and it was just, oh, okay, I've got a little extra. <laughs> yes, you did have good course markings out there. Um, speak to the technicality of the trail. How would you guys rate this for technicality? Was it very technical? Was it moderately technical? Um, did the conditions add to the technicality? You know, How would you guys rate that? 
Hmm. I would say, you know, the course varies. There's some very runnable sections. Um, the climbs tend to be brutal because they do tend to go straight up. Uh, there's some sections where you're hugging uh, the mountainside, like on a very narrow, like half track trail. And then we had snow conditions and ice. So some of the sections were a bit dicey, other sections not. So I, I'd say it's uh, with the sections that we had and um, in there that were, you know, nighttime sections, we'd have uh, melting snow turning to ice on the return trip. Uh, trekking poles were uh, probably saved us from some, some nasty falls and, um, so it's, it's a combination, but it's uh, definitely, you got to have your climbing legs for this one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure Mike has got something to add on that. Uh, especially if you're yeah. going down the hill to pick up a trekking pole or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you're going down the side of the mountain to go get your trekking pole that somebody accidentally or purposely threw down the side of the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> So we were half, we were, I was taking off my gloves to tie my shoes and uh, I gave David my, I was trying to hand David my trekking poles and this was on the last day and I, you know, our hands, you know, you start to lose motor skills after a while. And I went to hand it to him. And the next thing I know, the trekking pole goes down, like we're on the little steep little sections. Then, I mean, you ain't got like a foot or two on it. And next thing I know, there went my, my trekking pole down through there. And I mean, <laughs> yes. And I, it's straight down. I mean, it's literally straight down. So I, I, I hiked all the way halfway down and then I took a sideways cut to make it to go. So I didn't have to go straight back up that way. Cause it was pretty, it was pretty, pretty straight up and down. Uh, I think we just looked at it going down the hill and we paused and I don't think either one of us knew what to say. <laughs> <laughs> and which lap was that the last one the last one oh of course of course oh my gosh now um you know you had mentioned that going into the race you already had some snow and ice now during the race did you guys get any more uh inclement weather yeah uh during i think it was so the fourth night i had left a couple of nights I, I didn't sleep like I would make a return trip and then I wouldn't go to sleep and I would go back out. And I think it was the fourth, uh, fourth loop. I ended up getting rained on that night. Pretty good. I ended up having to do like eight, eight miles with it raining pretty good with the wind blowing. It was pretty miserable. I'm not gonna lie. Gosh. Um, David, did you turn in for that night? Um, I staked out every night when I got back. Um, I had a cabin. I didn't have a crew. Um, so I was pretty much sticking with what I knew, so, you know, after like doing ball state, you know, different kind of a race, but similar, you know, um, do, do the loop, get some sleep, eat, do it again, kind of a thing. So I was trying to stay on that kind of a cycle. Um, we also ran into uh, some uh, a fair amount of uh, snow grapple on that, the last day, right? Heading out, was it when yes, we had all yeah. that that that? Yeah, and then uh, coming back, so that actually helped us 
on uh, Kusa on the last way back. We thought it was going to be really bad coming back in the last night because it had been ice on uh, the fourth night. But uh, it actually, the, the extra snow on Kusa really made, that was probably our easiest descent the whole week was the last yeah. one. Yeah. Kusa. That was like a gift. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for those that don't know uh, Kusa, Kusa uh, is the main mountain in that vicinity that they you know, obviously they go back and forth on. So there's a major climb on the way out and a major descent on the way out. And then it reverses, you know, coming back, they have to come up the, the, the side they went down and then down the side they went up coming out. It's a, a that is a beast of a, of a climb and descent. Um, how did, were, did you have any problems with, uh, with footing or do you think the pole saved you? Did either of you, I know Michael, you didn't have any, uh, like um, snow spikes or anything, David? Did you? No, no, no. Okay. So the but basically the poles were you know game changers. Uh, yeah, except the climbs up Kusa from Bogle side were always a challenge. I mean, the first day we were probably kicking through four inches of snow. It wasn't too bad, and then running down wasn't bad. Coming up the backside usually wasn't bad. Um, because you could just kind of dig in. But the uh, Kusa on the backside, I think the first four times coming down, it was uh, meaning coming back to Vogel the first four days, uh, it was always a bit dicey. And you also had a 100-miler uh, a and a 40-mile fun run um, races that uh, mixed into the course as well. Uh, you guys started on a Tuesday. When did the 100-mile start? Friday. Thursday. Right. So, was it? Yeah, I know you're yeah. Right, Friday. Yeah, Friday. Yeah, they started Friday. At, I think at six o'clock in the morning. I'm pretty sure. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And how many people were in the hundred? Five. Yeah, Five. and two of them finished. Gotcha. And three of three started the two hundred, and the two of you were the only finishers. Correct. <laughs> gotcha. And then. Looked like I, from the photos I saw, there's you know uh, more more of like you know maybe ten or so in the forty. Um, looked like it had a few more people. There was actually twenty two people. Really? And yes, wow. there was twenty two. Yes. Okay, right on. Now, did any of that uh, affect uh, you guys at all? Did uh, you know? Did it affect your footing or change anything? I think that it uh, it made made the Kusa coming back just a little bit slicker. It seemed like Friday is when it got really, really slick. I mean, it was, yeah, because yeah, most of the times I would actually run on the side of the trail where the snow was just so I wouldn't be in the ice. You know, you could, it was, it was real slick. It was real slick. Were there many yeah. people out hiking? Uh, I mean, usually when, you know, when I do a race over there, there's, <laughs> there's quite a few people hiking. How was it when you guys were out? There was a group. Um, there was somebody out when the hundred milers started. Uh, there was somebody out there that wasn't in the race that had come out to do an FKT, and so I don't think that quite worked out so well with everybody on the course, you know. <laughs> and then um, opposite direction, I think it was the same day, but maybe it was the next. There was a, a long trail of like just hikers coming in the opposite direction from us, like maybe fifteen, twenty people in a line. 
Yeah. We only called them once, and so they weren't really in our way. It was just kind of interesting to see that many people for the first time in a week. Yeah. Um, but but Mike's right. Thursday night coming down, I think the, the combination of us beating it down over the a few days and then the extra traffic from the 100-milers, um, some of those were already, you know, they were going faster than us, so they're already back to their first lap. And to kind of the freestyle cycles, it was uh, very rough on Thursday coming down. I mean, there were times when I almost uh, planted just from the ice on the lower sections. And it's like, I woke up in the morning and every muscle in my core that had engaged every time I was trying to stop from falling, I was just like, I felt like somebody had beaten me with a bunch of sticks. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I can't imagine. Um, Yeah, I I definitely want to get into that side of things as well. Um, but if you guys don't mind taking a, a step back for a second and just going back to when you signed up for this race, what was your reasoning? What what prompted you guys to sign up for this event? All right, baby, go first. Well, all right. So um, <laughs> I had run uh, for years. I'd always heard friends talking about, oh, H9 Dragon. Oh, it's like really hard. You know, it's on the... You know, it's on the Duncan Ridge Trail, and I'd been on the trail before, and I keep hearing friends of mine that I've run other races, like Death Race, talking about, oh, it's really hard. So I thought, so summer of 19, I'd kind of already trained up for uh, some mountain races, and I said, well, I'll pop, you know, H9 in here for uh, fun as a kind of a trainer for the bear coming up in the fall. And so I get down there and um, loved it. I mean, it was hot you know, like everything in the, you know, this that time of year and humid. Um, but, you know, the course, you know, I managed it well. Nutrition worked out, you know, met a lot of nice people. I mean, it's just a very chill, old school kind of environment. Not that I've ever been old school, but it's what I imagine old school, you know, just to be. Finished uh, eighth, which um, I was pretty happy with. I was happy with my finish time. So it was kind of like then I became aware of Fierce Dragon because I was in the H9 group, and that's where they tend to post the info on that. So the one for last year was coming up, and I'm like, that's interesting, and I'm reading about it. And it's like, well, you know that, you know, I won't have the heat. It'll be 10 miles-ish, maybe shorter than the 50-miler. You know, I train for elevation, and I'm patient. I could probably do that. I can stake out a Bogle sleep you know, and kind of reset. So I'd kind of been eyeing it and I kind of watched and I noticed that nobody finished it last year. And that was, uh, but pretty much by January, I was trying to get some friends to come down and do it with me. And there were a lot of yeses and maybes, and then they all turned to no, hell no. And uh, so in June, I, I went back to check when I signed up. I signed up in June and it was mostly just to make sure that, you know, I was uh, really ready for it and I was ready to drop I had to pay the deposit for the cabin in full at that point because of COVID. They weren't taking like, you know, one night deposits anymore. That was a pretty penny. And so then I was all in and just had to be ready. Yep. So, and David has mentioned the the cabin uh, twice and uh, Vogel State Park is the uh, staging and starting and finishing area for for this race and Vogel has um, on-site cabins as well as camping. So, so David was set up at the cabins, which we'll talk about your logistics as well. Um, but it, it just sounded like something that was a, a good challenge for you. You were 
Yeah, you know, it's like the longer distance appealed to me, and it seemed like a something a little bit more that fit what I would was probably ready to do, as opposed to you know something like Moab or something like that, where it's um, you know I knew I could be able to rest and kind of reset, whereas in that that would be a variable that I wasn't sure I could control at this point. You know, sure. doing it, yeah, doing it, doing a mic style might have been a little hard for me. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll, we'll talk about the mic style as well because <laughs> uh, uh, worked, worked for him though for sure well we, you know we, we're going to talk about the planning versus reality because <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, when we talked planning it, it didn't uh it didn't oh, yeah. sound anything like what the reality was so uh, we'll, we'll definitely get there so michael what about you what what uh what made you want to do this race okay so i actually knew about it when it first come about because of my friend, Rick Ruggles, he actually three. Is that right? What's that? This was your three. This was uh, your three of that race. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I think it was two years ago when it had been two years ago. I think so. It was the very first year that my friend Rick Ruggles helped um, all the other four people get through the race. So uh, I kind of knew about it and that, that year it was $50. I was like, oh, I almost, I almost signed up for it then. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, fifty dollars, you can run two hundred miles, you know. I, I, but you did have to pay for the, the plaque. They did have a bigger plaque too. So, um, and I, I have a, a longer goal. My goal is to do Tour de Gents, and I, you know, there's not very many races out there that kind of get the elevation profile as Tour de Gents. And this is probably one of the closer ones that would be able to. So I want to kind of see how, how, if I would actually like to do it. And uh, so my work kind of got in the way last year of me doing it. And then plus I, I wanted to get a little bit more seasoned on my legs. So I guess me and Aaron done a few races of back-to-back hundreds more or less, kind of like within a couple of weeks, you know, in which it kind of seasoned my legs up to, you know, go that far, especially with all the elevation. So I signed up for it right after David did. Uh, and we ended up putting a lot of vert through some races and, you know, and it turned out to be pretty good. I mean, I felt pretty good at the end. I'm not gonna lie. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so, um, all right, you're signed up. Um, what, what started your planning? Uh, you know, obviously David, you were kind of coming at this with a logistical, um, I'm going to be able to, you know, do a lap, sleep a little bit. Um, which really sounded like that made you want to go do this event rather than others. Um, what went into your planning? So, um, I kind of had, uh, maybe an overly busy year, even with COVID or maybe busier because of COVID. Uh, so I was uh, trading up for Hellbender in the spring and suddenly, no, just kidding. I'm giving you a hard time for fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then that kind of like, you know, I, a couple of weeks before the race, I was like, you know, pretty much had done my normal elevation, you know, high elevation race uh, type training. And um, so I hopped into a friend that had done a, you know, set up a virtual race and did that, you know, and, and then an elevation challenge. And it's like, well, that was nice because I had trained, you know, was trained up. 
But then it was like time to switch to Vol State type stuff, which was long road races in the heat. And so an elevation really wasn't a, a pro, much really a priority at that point. But Vol State did, uh, you know, I, I did a similar approach to where I would start the race, um, stake out for the night, shower, eat, sleep, get up in the middle of the night to avoid the heat and then maximize how much time I could run in the dark to avoid the heat. And then it, so I was running about 50 miles a day and then resetting. And then, and that, that worked uh, pretty well. So that kind of gave me a little bit of confidence for the idea of uh, doing a similar format, you know, being able to reset after 40 miles and a change and a bunch of elevation change and then trying to reset. Um, it didn't quite work out as well as I was, you know, wanting to. I was, you know, um, I don't know if, how much you want me to go into that right now, or if you want to stay from that. Yeah, later, yeah. But, but and just so, so people know, you uh, you use the term stakeout. Can you just define that for those that uh, may not be familiar? Basically, you're leaving the course, um, but the clock doesn't stop. So you know, the timer for um, Fall State and the timer for uh, you know, fierce dragon, it, it never stops. So if you're sleeping, you know, the race is still going on. It still counts against your time and things like that. Uh, the only place at uh, fierce dragon that you're allowed to stake out is Vogel. Uh, so, you know, in terms of leaving the course now, so I could have like done a loop and then decide to go do part of a loop, but I would have had to, if I was going to take a nap somewhere, it would have to be somewhere on the course, like one of the aid stations that nobody was at or, something else and that just you know wasn't really in my i didn't see that as a benefit i felt a shower and a bed and heat and food was the way to go uh, the problem is is i wasn't there were nights when i had the time to sleep and wasn't able to sleep and i haven't quite figured that out but it seemed to be every other night uh terrible sleep and and it really affected my performance the next day then the next night I would be able to, I, I would sleep really well. And then I felt like, you know, a brand new runner. And then the next night, the same, it was like alternating. So fortunately, at least the alternating nights had me, um, I got two good nights on the course. And fortunately, um, I was well rested for the last day. So the way it fell out, but it was just kind of bizarre. <laughs> and that, my strategy was to try to shift my start time earlier instead of the 8 a.m., um, which I pretty much did, uh, but it kind of bounced around a bit. And that was so that I spent less time in the dark when I was tired on the return trip. And the uh, the outbound course uh, in the morning going up and down Kusa um, really wasn't that difficult. I mean, it was just a matter of doing it and lighter day it was about the same i mean you could there's some runnable on the first five or six miles and so you got to you know started climbing kusa and then it was uh slow but it wasn't that treacherous except for the you know when it was a bit icy and stuff right on so um when you uh you had already mentioned that you decided to do this without crew and without pacers um what went into that decision that's kind of my default. Um, in general, I, I don't really use pacers or crew on races unless I have a need to use a, a crew for some reason. I, I did a race. Uh, I did UTMB in 17, and there was only one aid station. Sorry, multiple aid stations, only one place for a drop bag. 
And Perfect. so uh, only ha- having to plan around a 40-something hour race for me with one drop bag um, meant I would have to depend entirely on the food at the stations. And I really wanted to have some stuff I was familiar with in addition to what I could eat at the aid station. So I had a crew person for that. So. Yep, yep. Very good. Yes. Um, and uh, Michael, how about you? Um, you know, we uh, we went over a lot for for your planning. Um, and the reason I say we is um, Michael and I, I, I coach Michael. So um, we talked a lot about a very, you know, a variety of topics. But um, what type of things were you the most concerned with and most detail oriented about? Sleep. 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 Yeah, because, uh, you know, uh, I had Chris Hayslip uh, crewing me, so I really didn't need need to worry too much about, like, getting things to me and stuff like that. So he was – he's very – he's very – how can you put it? Meticulous. Uh, well, organized, and I'm very scatterbrained. So, you know, he kind of helps me out with that. that, that. So uh, – the sleep was the biggest thing because I had never went, you know, that long. Usually, like I'd done Hellbender and Cruel Jewel, thirty-five hours. I could go, I could go the whole race without sleeping, you know, and I was fine. So I knew as soon as I got going up above there, them forty hours and stuff, I, the sleep. How was I going to do it? So my plan was going in is to do a loop and then go back out and keep going until I got completely sleepy to go to sleep. And that kind of didn't work out that well because when I did get sleepy, I couldn't sleep. So I I slept maybe the very first, I think it was 40 to 44 hours, five minutes. And then I I made it back to Vogel the second day. And then I, I left for like 10 hours and slept like eight hours, slept super good. And then I come back out and, had a really good loop that that night. Uh, I really flew through that loop, and then I got back and I could. I felt wide awake, so I left out again. And as soon as I made it to Tapacusa, I felt sleepy. So I ended up sleeping at fire pit in a chair for like five minutes, and then that was the fourth loop. And then that's when it started. They pushed me out of it and said, "Get the the fish gap," and that's when it started raining. Luckily, I knew it was going to rain, so I put my yellow jacket on and just kind of went to a very dark place. A very <laughs> dark place. <laughs> I was not a happy soul that through that section. But the 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 sleep is the sleep is weird. Like David said, it's like you know, I would get one night when I got good sleep. It was I was fine. I mean, it just felt like I started a new new race, and then it just felt good. Yeah. But w- when I didn't get sleep, it was it was bad. <laughs> yeah. let's, let's talk about the the dark place for a minute and go back. Um, did you guys have a, a why? You know, a lot of uh, a lot of times you hear about creating a, a why for a race. Did did either of you have one that you are you know able to share? Well, I mean, maybe this isn't all that ex- interesting or exciting, but I pretty much always, and I think the reason I um, latched on to running once I got started is I was always excited 
during training, like for my first half marathon and my marathon is like for the first time through those, those training things, every two Saturdays of long runs out of three, you're setting a new PR, a distance PR. And that got me very excited that, you know, about three times a month, I'd be sitting, I'd be doing something I never thought I could do and then doing it further. So I just, I think I just kind of gravitated towards, you know, uh, further distances, more challenging races. So this one was um, appealing because, you know, for most hundred milers, I'm pretty confident I'm going to be able to finish. Um, you know, uh, it's not something that I, I tend to worry about. Oh, I'm not going to be able to finish, but if something happens, I can, you know, I can deal with that. This one was one I I can't control everything on this race. I can't control the weather. I can't control what my body's going to happen to my body after you know 150 miles of of mountain trails. You know, I could hurt myself. You know, it's like I could just the body could just break down and say, okay, your body is not ready for this and I could have been out at a mile 186, you know, you never know. So I think it was more of the challenge and the the qu- lingering question of, will I finish? Sure. And, and uh, just, but, you know, sometimes, like, yeah, it, but sometimes we have something in our mind because, you know, like Michael says, we go to a dark place and, you know, if we think about, well, you know, I, I really just want to, you know, get a new distance is that really strong enough to carry us through that, like that lull, you know, is there other things that, you know, that, that bring you to a, a better place, you know, that carry you through those dark places. And, you know, and Dave, you don't have to answer it, Michael, if you want to share what went through your head, that's totally fine. too. Yeah. So I always think it's, I want to find my limit. You know, th- there's a limit that a human can go through and I really was trying to find that limit and I've been through a lot of things in my life. And I thought that was, you know, that could, there's nothing that could top that. And, uh, that night I thought I was going to find my limit, but I just never did. I just kept chugging along. And I mean, it's, I, I knew if I got to the next place, I would be fine. You know? And like David said, it's like, it was the first race I really didn't know if I'd be able to finish. I knew I could finish any other race, just like, you know, I could wheel myself through it, you know? So trying to find the limit is just, it's, I want to find it one day and I'll keep searching, I guess. I, I had ha- apprehension on this race that pretty much reminded me a lot of going into my first 100, you know, you know, going to your first 100 from say, doing your, you know, a fairly simple 50 mile or three weeks before, you know, and then doing your first hundred. Um, but, you know, I've, I've been in enough dark places to where, you know, rest food or reminding myself if I ever want to come back, I have to do the first 120 miles again. It's very motivating to tell you to get your butt out of it, you know, and Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're telling everybody, you know, you're doing it ahead of time also, you know, kind of accountability. Yeah. So it's, I, I think I'm pretty good at recognizing, um, you know, the, the dark stuff. And a lot of times it's not like you can just go drop anywhere. You might spend more time trying to get off the course than it takes to finish. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, you know, it's all those things where you're saying, okay, this is where I am. And there's really no good exit plan per se. I'm not broken. So it's, did, you know, did you get any of your lifelines? Did you, did you make any, any phone calls? <laughs> uh, nope. Um, because my lifeline was all I have to do is get back to Vogel <laughs> and then I know I'll be fine. And so really it was just a bunch of 41 mile races in a way. The clock never stopped, but, and it was weird because every night when, you know, if Mike and I were both back at Vogel, well, we're essentially tied all of a sudden until somebody starts walking again, you know? So um, it, it's kind of a weird format when it comes down to, and I'm sure we'll get to this, like it kind of comes down to what happens on the last loop. Yep. And, right. and anything before that doesn't, unless somebody's like managed to squeeze in a whole half loop before the last loop, you know? So like if Mike was at Skeena and I was starting it, um, Vogel on uh, Saturday morning, then that would have been a, you know, that would have been the race over by that point, you know. <laughs> well, uh, that's a hard I, thing to do, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I do like what you say. You know, you, you just get back to Vogel, and you know, you could kind of reset that. You could take care of all your needs and get yourself, you know, back to that. Um, which that's you know that's that's a great way to to do it and to break it down, you know, into those those increments, which I think we do in in any race, you know, whether it be a marathon or a hundred miler or a 200 miler, we break it into segments, you know, just make it to the next aid station or, you know, just complete this section, whatever it may be, you know, there's, we micromanage it in other words, but, um, you know, I, and I know Michael had called me, um, you know, the morning after he got his good night's sleep and said, I feel like a new man. And then I got a call the next day. My knee is killing me. What do I do? <laughs> <laughs> So, um, you know, it, it's, you know, in those cases, it's, it's great to, to reach out, you know, and I'm sure Michael talked to his wife, Terry, a few times just to make sure I know she was more worried about him <laughs> and he was just making her a little bit more at, at peace with, with things. So, um, using those lifelines are, are great too. And it's, you know, it's, it's definitely something that I look forward to in, in races is, you know, my, it, like, like you said, David at, at UTMB, my family was out there crewing. So, I had them to look forward to. So I was like, I just got to make it whatever many more miles and I'll be back with my family for, you know, a little bit and, you know, charge up and refuel and, and be back on my Mary. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, um, it, there's, there's so many things that, that keep us moving, whether it's just the fact that we get to hit the reset button at a certain point and keep moving, or we keep challenging ourselves. Um, whether it be just the fact that we get to, you know, see a, a crew member or pick up a pacer. I mean, you know, even just get to a drop bag and, and have a Snickers bar. <laughs> it can be really simple. <laughs> um, but, um, uh, you know, it's, I, I, I really, I, I really was, uh, impressed with both of you and your fortitude to keep moving out there, you know, given those conditions. Um, Michael, talk about your knee for a little bit. You had uh, problems on, that started on day two, because uh, I came out and visited you on day two, and your knee was already starting to have some problems. Yeah, so um, so I'm a four-layer by my trade. Uh, so I've dealt with knee bursitis a few times. So I started feeling it probably around day two, but I think it was the third lap is when I was coming back down Kusa. It started to really start to act up. And then I hit that road and that road had big rocks, ruts, and it would just start to, you know, your, 
you could, I just could feel my knees starting to move and everything like that. So when I got to back to base, I felt good. I mean, I felt real good. I actually run most of that and I sat down and I could really start to feel it. And then, uh, so I left out and I went back out and I probably made it a slip at fish gap for maybe like five minutes. They actually got the cod out and everything made it all the way up there. And, I slept for about five minutes and then I got up and I was like, well, I can't sleep. So I actually called you, Aaron, and we talked for a little bit, you know, just somebody to talk to, you know, because you get lonely. I'll tell you, I don't even see, know how David done. I really do not know how, you know, just the interaction with people actually got me going. I mean, he was out there mostly by himself for hours upon hours. So then I, uh, I made it back to going down Skeena and it started to really scream. I felt it tighten up because I, I was wearing compression pants. And I felt it tighten up and I, I felt it swell up. So more or less, I, I had to go sideways all the way down Skeena just as so if I put any pressure on it, it would just scream. So I sat at Skeena for like two hours. And a gentleman come down there and was I feared I tore my miscus. I guess it is. Yeah. So um, I feared that. So I, I called Perry and I asked Perry, which, uh, you know, well, if I need to go to the hospital, get checked out or a doctor, he gets this checked out. Started feeling around and I felt it was at the kneecap. So then I kind of knew that it was knee bursitis because I've dealt with it before. And the miscus would have been on the side on the side of not near the kneecap of it. So I put some ice on it for a couple hours and then I decided, like David said, you know, 150 miles. Do I want to come back to that 150 miles again? I was like, no, cause I know, I know myself. It's like, you know, I'm not going to let it beat me. So I would have to go back, come back this 150 miles. Well, if I didn't make it that 150 miles again, you know, then I have to come back again you know, and then you know, it's just a big circle of me just, you know, in this race. So I decided just to go on and going up hills was fine. I mean, I could climb just as, just as fast as I could. You know, I felt great climbing. But once we started going down hills, it was just unless I ran down hills kind of fluid, it, it, it screamed. Oh, gosh. Well, I mean. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, David, you had your challenges too. Um, being solo, like you said, you're used to, but how did you deal with that, that vacuum of space where, you know, you didn't have people to talk to? Um, did you listen to music, you know, audiobooks? Did you have any of that or did you just have your thoughts? Uh, just my thoughts. Um, I mean, you know, you see people get the uh, aid stations, you know, uh, most days there was somebody at fire pit. I think the first day out, I was so early that uh, nobody was at fire pit when I got there and I didn't know the truck was unlocked. So, and then uh, by the time I got to fish gap, uh, somebody was there just setting up. And then, you know, I think you, I think Mike missed people at both of those stations on the second day, but um, you know, it's, yeah, so the, the volunteers you'd run into every once in a while. Otherwise, you didn't see anybody except Mike and I would usually pass. Like the second day, we passed each other because he was ahead of me. So as I was heading towards Skeena, he was coming back. And we probably stood there for five minutes and talked. 
and then we traded phone numbers and then we both went on our way. And I, I don't know if you remember, Mike, but you actually texted me when you were up around the, uh, the pointless elevation change on the outbound. Um, so probably after you hung up from Aaron or something and, and te- you texted me and then I, I said, uh, you know, said I hope you're moving well or something like that. And I said I'm or moving, and I said I'm on the I'm on the I'm on the course. And then you called, and then we talked for a while, and that's when he was telling me he was having this knee problem and stuff. By the time I was coming into Cena, um, like you know, a couple miles, a mile and a half out, like runners, hundred milers were coming by, and one of them stopped and said, "Oh, your your um, cohort's blown out his knee. I mean, he's done. It's terrible." And I'm like, "Crap." And then the next person has a slightly different version of the story. And the next person says, oh, he's coming up the hill now. And then it's like two minutes later, it's like, you did fine. I don't know what's going on. But he's like, <laughs> so I was glad to see that um, because, you know, we were kind of, even though we were like on different parts of the course, we kind of generally knew where the other person was either, you know, because the aid station people would give us updates. And it's weird that there's only two people on a course it's 40 something miles long and uh, you've got, and you know, the other person's out there. So it's kind of like, you don't feel like you're by yourself, even though you might only see each other once or, you know, like he accidentally called my number instead of his wife. So then I called back and then it was like, Oh, sorry, Mr. Collins. So I wasn't trying to call you anyway, but then we talked for a few minutes and while we're moving. And I don't know. It was like, we were out there. I think supporting each other as much as you know anything else the aid station people were like amazing somehow they knew exactly what moment we were going to come back into fish gap and they'd have like a hot grilled cheese sandwich all ready to go like like they had a camera somewhere you know it's like i think he did i think he had a camera somewhere yeah like well like and sarah you know when she was there it was like she always pretty much had it figured out to her watch it was crazy there might yeah, be a um, camera I'd have been a yeah. dear camera out there. It's 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 when you had our phones and you changed the weather on us that day. That's right. That's right. We forgot about that. <laughs> oh. um, well, you know, I think we've talked we've talked about sleep and how it was you know erratic and you know some nights you got it, some nights you didn't. You tried to make sure you got some, but you took what you could get. Um, how about nutrition? Um, you know, I mean. Your uh, your traditional kind of uh, gels and you know stuff like that 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 kind of goes out pretty quickly. So um, you know, or did it did it work throughout? What uh, what was your uh, what was your reality? I guess for <laughs> for nutrition. Well, I would say the reality was like after the first day, I knew for me because I'm actually a bigger guy than. So I found out I needed a lot more calories than probably most people. So at the top of climbs, I was having to eat like almost every climb or I would get like really fuzzy head. Cause at the first one I tried the gels and they were just not working and I started getting really fuzzy headed. So I ended up going to pop tarts and granola bars and just, I was eating almost two pop tarts at a time. That was like 360 calories. Any, anything with lots of calories. I would take granola bars and then take oat milk and put it in my thing and have like almost like a cereal as I was going through. You know, just as as much calories. I, I, at the end of the race, my 
throat hurt so bad from eating so much at all times. It just felt like I was always eating, always eating. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. Did you have some uh, some major meals too? Yes, I had. Uh, so Chris bought me some uh, Burger King. He bought me some bacon cheese sticks, I think, one day. And then Arabelle brought chicken sandwiches. What they they were all then my wife then my wife brought me two chicken biscuits from chick-fil-a yeah so yeah that was some good food (laughs) how about you david so my um what i was carrying i was carrying enough calories for like what would work for a typical if i was doing that course once out and back i had enough calories to consume to get me through that plus some extra you know i kind of had it calculated out to about a 15 hour thing and then i had bags all the way i was like overly planning here so i had bags of you know the combination of stuff that i would take and then i would uh add to it or change it out on a daily basis if there are things that weren't working so the standard we kind of maybe had i think three sleeves of cliff blocks and then the rest of it was like nut butter cliff bars um other types of cliff bars, some cheese type of stuff. I remember what else was in there. Um, and that worked pretty well the first day, but then um, the second day, the cliff blocks, the cubes, you know, weren't quite working. It just seemed a little gummy. It's like they were good for like to get quick energy in, but I started reducing those and just adding more of the, you know, like granola type bars or kind bars with like nuts and things like that. And then starting to get a little bit more off the aid stations, um, grilled cheese sandwich, mashed potatoes, things like that, Chick-fil-A sandwich. Um, so yeah, the, it kind of changes more towards just wanting normal, more normal like food. Um, so, but yeah, it worked out pretty well. I, I pretty much drank Gatorade in my bottles all the time. I'm kind of old school and cheap. I realized that works. Gatorade in my bottles, I realized about two years ago was one cheaper and two worked a lot better than any of these expensive things. You know, I certain things I've tried a lot of things. I just, you know, I drink a lot of Gatorade on my long runs just because I go to gas stations from my aid station. So So, uh, uh, I was pretty pleased. I'm things, but I did have to start. I I was glad the aid stations were well stocked because I was starting to have to depend on them for alternate types of things and when you staked out um what did you do um you know when you when you staked out did you have like a big meal uh, at the cabin uh the um that was my plan um but in general like a lot of times when i was like coming back uh perry was working the uh aid station at fire pit you know that was about six and a half miles out from vogel and usually i'd stop there and he'd make me uh, like a grilled ham and cheese sandwich with like, and he'd butter it up pretty good. Cause you know, the animal stuff is all good. And you know, he loves that stuff. So here, eat this. And so that, that would be, I would tend to not be so hungry when I got back and uh, I would just save it for breakfast. You know, I get up, I'd have a pretty decent breakfast. So I came back with a lot of like dinner food that I never quite ate. And that was a lot of, you know, vegan type brown rice and vegan type microwave food. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, 
And I'm not vegan, it just works better. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, Okay. So um, you've, uh, uh, you've talked about sleep, um, nutrition. What about gear? What type of stuff were you guys using? Um, did you guys have, uh, collapsible poles or were your poles, um, you know, um, non-collapsible? <laughs> I used to lecky poles. They were collapsible, but I never collapsed them. Uh, uh after the, the second day, just with the knee, I just kind of more yet less used them going downhill just to kind of take the pressure off. And even uh, I, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Finish. Yeah. Even running flats, I kind of, at the end of it, I was still just using poles to run with. It just, it was, uh, they, they seem like they helped out a lot, but sometimes they, you put a little bit, too much going downhill with them. So I'm not, I'm not the greatest with the poles. I usually don't run with poles. So even the hundred milers, I usually don't run with poles. So it's kind of a little bit of an adjustment to get used to. So I wish I would have practiced a lot more with them. How about you, David? Um, I had the uh, folding poles, you know, the Z poles, um, the, the black diamond ones, which I've, um, I don't use them that often, um, in races or, or training unless I'm training for Bert and I'm like doing power line cuts or something like that. You know, um, the, uh, I'm fairly comfortable with them. Um, mostly I use them for uphill, gotten a little bit better at using them, you know, on downhill or when I need some stability. So I don't like slide off and down the mountain, like a, loose trekking pole or something like that which is very possible i mean there were some icy spots on that course we were all like well that's <laughs> but um so yeah in terms of poles uh i would probably start out in the morning with them in my um i had a quiver on my solomon pack and then about the time i got down to uh the lowest point of the kusabat country trail when the time would start i'd pull them out and then they would probably other than like if I'm going into an aid station, I might fold them down to avoid and put them away so that I don't like lean them up against something and walk out of the aid station like I did one day and had to go back and get them. So I'm like, well, I'm coming to sell pretty good. And I'm not even using my pole. Crap. Quarter mile back, get the poles, go back out. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it just really wasn't worth uh, stashing the poles. Um because you were using them all the time, and I basically just used the quiver to make sure I didn't walk out without them. Gotcha. Yeah. If I was going to sit down for a while, like in an aid station, and kind of reset, I didn't want to forget forget them, so I just pulled them down. And um, you said you mentioned you had a Solomon pack. Um, which one did you have? Uh, what capacity? Uh, it's the twelve set, the newer one with the uh, side panels, so it's actually much bigger than what was available, you know, a few years ago where it was just like, it was just dependent on being stretchy. Mm-hmm. So I, I really think that it's the same one Michael had. Um, I think that newer design that came out a couple of years ago is probably the best pack on the market. Uh, yeah. I can't imagine switching to something else. I always had some complaints about it before, but they really dialed that pack in over the last few years. 
Yeah. I pretty much had a standard UTMB kit and then extra an extra base layer of wool um, to account for temperature. And uh, I had like an emergency bivy in there in case I decided to sleep on the trail somewhere. And one of those uh, sole bivvies mm-hmm. that's like smaller than my fist, you know. Yep. And um, that was about it, you know, some overmits for the gloves for the wind and things like that. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about lights in a second. Anything else that you carried, uh, Michael? That you know, I carried. I more or less carried about the same thing he did. You know, kept just extra rain rain gear, and that's you know extra change of clothes. You know, I had the twelve like he did. Worked great. I mean, like a pack a lot. I think things. everybody had the twelve pack. Yeah, it seemed like, like five of us running together at the end, and we all had the exact same pack. Yeah, that's right. The train. That's what I used UTMB as well. Uh, was the twelve? Um, it is a great pack. Um, how about lights? Um, what were you using, Michael? I used a Kogela uh, waist lamp with a Petzl headlamp, and hands down, I'll never go with anything else again. It, especially anything like technical. You know, you run downhill. I mean, you could actually see. And actually, I've got a video of the fog that I had to go. I forgot all about that. There was fog up there that night. It was raining. And was you could. Really? Yeah. Really? So, David, we're running. Uh, I went back from an aid station to catch Michael, and he goes, right, Do you yeah, see I knew that, that fog? Do you see it? And I was like, No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> There's no fog. <laughs> he, he was so tired. That was when we were we were approaching uh, 40 hours of, of waking, uh, running, and <laughs> he's like, "It's foggy, right?" And I was like, "No, no, it's it's not." <laughs> but uh, I yeah. swear it was hazy. It was so hazy and foggy. <laughs> I know it was. But this uh, this literally you probably was had fog. that like eye thing going on. Yeah. 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 It was, it was funny. Uh, so I you? do have the fog for you this time. I will show you the video of the fog this time. There was actually fog. <laughs> well, both but pretend you... like we can't see it, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, send us the video. We'll, we'll send our comments. <laughs> yeah. So um, I had a uh, – I was kind of a more low tech. Um, I had two lamps with me and then a, a spare set of batteries for one. Um I really never needed to uh, use the second lamp, the backup lamp or the batteries just because it was short, you know, but I had like a 350 lumen uh, black diamond Cosmo. I got it for 20 bucks and it's, it's light and it, it has a last long time and the light's good. Um, but I really need to look into getting a, a waist lamp, a waist light because, um, you know, when it's foggy, uh, something on your head doesn't work real well. So um, I learned long ago, like during my first Georgia death race, you take the thing off and you hold it like a flashlight at waist level. You know, it, it's a world of difference. You get the shadows, everything you get, you know, pretty much from a waist lamp. Um, but when you're on a course that really, you know, for safety reasons, you have poles in your hands, uh, that gets a little, that gets a little tricky. So. Um, there were times when, you know, I pretty much had to carry the poles in my left hand and the lamp in the right just to avoid hitting rocks if I was going to make decent time at all. So, yeah, I, I need to, before I do another one of these types of uh, mountain type of ultras, I'm going to have to pick a lamp, a waist lamp. Yep. 
Yeah. Research. Yeah. The, the cold um, you know, the, um, ultra spire, um, they're, you know, they both have really good lamps and I mean, there's some others out on the market as well. Um, Kogala is, uh, I have a link on my, uh, show notes. Um, anybody likes the Kogalas want to check them out. There's a link on the show notes. Um, I, you get 15% off with that link. So if anybody's interested, that's on there. Um, little plug there for Kogala. <laughs> yeah. I'm always worried about battery life on anything that's a rechargeable battery because they're not easy to, to. Yeah. Have. I was charging my, in my car, um, you know, the, the, during the daytime, you know, when I went, I just yeah. plugged him in, you know, uh, and got his charged up, um, while he was running. Um, but, um, yeah, that's, I, that, that is the only downside. It, well, I mean, you know, the, uh, ultra spires, um, they have a, um, a battery that you can get the battery. It's really accessible at any like batteries plus store. Uh, they're pretty cheap too. Um, and you know, they have a double charger so you can have a bunch, um, just as your backup, which is, you know, at UTMB, I just had a bunch of those and I could just keep switching out as needed, but the battery life's actually pretty good on those. So, yep. Um, all right. Um, so, um, you're, uh, you're obviously, you know, you're getting into the race, um, you know, you've, you've gotten into lap four. When did you two, um, start to team up? When did you guys get together? So I'll, I'll start a little bit. So, um, I'm going to rewind to the fourth loop where, um, I'm hearing Michael's like out of the race or going to be out of the race. I'm heading to Skeena and I'm hearing all these horror stories. And then, um, basically like I'm heading down to Skeena as he's coming out. So that's good. He's looking good. So I was happy because it's like, well, don't leave my ass out here by myself. Sorry. <laughs> you can bleep that out if you have to. Uh, I know. He's doing uh, now. Great. Thanks, David. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm going to start <laughs> over now. So I managed, I got down there, spent a little bit of time and then um, I caught up to him and Chris, Chris was pacing him at that point. Uh, I caught up to him just past Mulkey Gap. I mean, they had just left. They had just started up the hill as I was coming down. The, the rest of the crew was still there. And so I kind of, and that's, that's a grind of a climb. So I kind of, got with him and then we ran all the way to fire pit together and hit the aid station and then um they went on ahead i was trying to get my stomach settled a bit and then then got on down there when i got back uh michael was there waiting for chris to come with the car and i think when i walked in uh the the nancy the lady kind of works the timekeeping and kind of tries to keep track where everybody is off and on the course um asked me it's like so what time are you heading out in the morning? Because Mike's off not going out at five. And I'm like, uh, I was I had a bad night's sleep the night before, so I knew I needed to sleep. So my plan was basically like set the alarm for five. If I got up and felt refreshed, I'd go earlier. If it woke me up at five and I wasn't refreshed, or if I was either way, I was going to go because I wanted to get out before the 40 milers. Uh, I think I got the impression, you know, maybe Mike was wanting to do the same i wasn't sure what you know it's kind of a weird situation in my head because it's like okay we're tied right now we're the only two on it and it's like she just told me when he's starting so you know 
I'm not going to be that guy and like sneak out at 4.30, you know, or something like that, because that would be a total, you know, you know what kind of a move that would be, right? And it's like, that's not what, you know, I want anyway. And it's like, so I told him, it's like, you know, I'm going to probably set the alarm for five and, you know, I'm not sure what I'm going to get up. And then, so he was going to leave at five. I said, I, I, I can't imagine I'd be out before that. And then he texted me when I got back to the cabin and said, I'm going to be, um, he said he was going to go out at six and um, jump in if I'm messing anything up here, Mike. And I said, I texted back and I said, well, I might see you at six, uh, but I won't leave. I will not go out before six because I wanted to make sure he knew I wasn't going to be one of those guys, you know, trying to, because it's like, you know, okay, we're down to the thing. It's like, we've almost kind of been supporting each other this whole time. So it was like, okay, let's not get, make this weird or anything in my head. Yeah. It might've just all been in my head anyway, but, um, so I, I asked you if you wanted to race. I had well, like you, you thought I was want. Uh, you said something like, "Oh, you're wanting to race." It's like, no. <laughs> I didn't know. I was like, I'm not looking for a race. You know, I mean, it's like I'm I'm looking to run my own race, and if that comes in ahead of you, great. If it doesn't come, great. I'm running my race. So um, I texted him morning. He said I'll be there at six, and then he called me and said, "Hey, I'm going to be a little late, but I'll be there." I said, "Okay, I'll wait for you," and we decided to go. And at that point, it was like. My mind, I think I said something online. It's like, well, you know, good to Skeena. You know, he'll pick up a pacer there. He likes to spend time, get get fueled up and things like that, whereas I'm more of a grab and go. So I figured I would, at that point, we just kind of do our own race back and likely he would catch me anyway because he always does. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm good with whatever happens after that. But before we ever got to Skeena, we pretty much were both in the mindset we didn't really want to split at Skeena. So then we're talking about, well, then, then now what are we going to do? And so we kind of kicked it up and uh, said, you know, if we both go in, I think he said, you know, well, we could just go in together and call it a tie. And then it was like, okay, well, then we both will likely have a new course record and tie for first. And we weren't sure how the race director was going to feel about that. So then we're thinking, well, what if he just says, okay, you both can't have first, but you can both have second. And we're like, mm-hmm. so, <laughs> didn't come up with a comeback. And anyway, that's just what we went with. And yeah. about that time, we had another runner latch onto us. It was a 40-miler because she saw we were moving good. And we ended up with a train of five people eventually. Yeah. Add your so, view of that. See how much I've, I screwed that up. Or so, how we were I don't know what was in I your kinda head. got the feeling I kinda got the feeling that you would uh kind of like to talk a little bit, you know, that last lap since we were tied and you just kept saying he was leaving at six. And I was like, well, I'll just leave with him at six and then we'll just keep going. And w- once we started getting out there, it was actually nice to just talk. Yeah. Know, it was, it is. And we actually had a good time all the way across there. We just talked and laughed and told stories and you know it just kind of become pretty it was a good friendship and so when we got down to Skeena I was smiling I was like you know what better way to mess with Perry than you know he messed with us for five days so you know we'll tie you know so that's what my thoughts were about it so yeah it was pretty good so just seeing the smile on his face and shaking his finger at us and like you too you too (laughs) <laughs> you know, 
you kind of are, you know, last laugh at him, you know? So, yeah. I think you were happy for us. Yeah. Your dad, I, yeah, I did. I can yeah. 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 Well, yeah. Well, you, you want, you want people to, to finish as, uh, as he said, when I was at fire pit, uh, you know, talking with Perry and, and Michael was, um, kind of in a daze, you know, looking at the fog. Um, <laughs> and, uh, Barry and I were talking and, you know, he really did. He wanted you both to finish. And uh, I don't know if he wanted you to finish together, but <laughs> he definitely wanted to both of you finish. Yeah, it was going to be interesting. It was like, I think, I'm not sure. Well, I don't think I had a race in me to, you know, like to get it out to the finish. It would have just ended however it ended, you know, it's like uh and and I tell you, Michael just got stronger and stronger on the return trip. I mean, he was, I was having hard, you know, I was, um, I was good on downhills. He was good on climbing on the way out. He seemed he was good on everything, but it's like power hike and on in both directions. It was kind of. He's a tough one for a while. That's a, that's a tough mug right there. It's, you know, he, uh, he did, uh, um, March Michael, I think is what I'm going to call him. Yeah, or he did GDR and then came back the following week and did Hellbender. Um, in uh, yeah, 20- that's uh, I, I was stopping his ultra sign up, so you know, yeah, like, holy crap, this guy's yeah, yes. I, uh, I knew he was tough enough. I was worried about that knee. That's, that was my that was my question mark. So I, I'm glad he. You know, uh, thanks for the kind words. Uh, I really appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't uh, think it's toughness. I think it's. Uh, I didn't want to call it, but um, stubbornness. Stubborn. Yeah, stubbornness. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. It's stubbornness. That's what my wife would say. It's stubbornness. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Oh man. Um, well, I mean, that's uh, congratulations to both of you. As you said, you tied for the win. You did set a new course record. Um, how how much did you guys set the record by? And what was your finishing time? <laughs> it came out. I think the last I saw that someone had posted was uh, 110 hours and 46 minutes. Yeah, I think I, I think that was that's off of what I had. I think it was down to 10 hours 31 minutes. I'm pretty uh, sure. So the 10 hours and 31 was bad math by me and oh, uh, Nancy at the finish line because it was. Yeah, we shouldn't have been because no watch tells you what time it is when you stop. Maybe yours does, mine doesn't. But so you're trying to do math, and then you got to account for the fact that uh, the elapsed time we actually started before the the fifth, the last day by like a, um, I think we started about what six fifteen, so an hour yeah. and forty five minutes of that was actually the previous day, so that had to get subtracted off, and it's like the math got all. Okay. And so yeah. So I, I I worked it out with Nancy multiple times, and I came out, and I was convinced it was um, 110:45 total time. And then I sent her my little spreadsheet notes of how I calculated it step by step. I never heard anything back, but then I saw that I think Michelle had posted a 10:45. That's forty. That was because yeah. I because I kept the whole thing. The whole yeah. I had the whole thing through Strava. Mine come out at ten forty six, but I didn't so you were stop probably only first. a minute late though on that. I, mean, I think I stopped my watch like three minutes late. No, I think it was after my I chugged my first beer because I chugged my first beer like super quick as soon as I finished because I was like this pain's going away some way. 
So I ended up like chugging like six beers before in an hour. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, so I think so, it came out in about three hours and 15 minutes um, that we knocked off. Is that sound right? Yep. Nice. Yeah. Uh, 110 just for the math impaired. That's what, five days? Um, Four days and some change. Four days and some change? Yeah. Good Lord. Nice A lot work. of change. But yeah. Well, that's okay. It's it's still under five. That's, that's all. Um, very very impressive. Um, just some some closing things. Um, any things that you guys did in training that you might suggest for others that are looking to do? You know, it can be just races with this much. You know, elevation change or this distance. Uh, anything you want to share there? I think me and David had the almost the exact same kind of like training. You don't have to do 100 miles. You don't have to do 100-mile weeks. You don't have to do all these things. You know, yeah, a lot of – I did a lot of strength training. I think that helped me a lot, especially, like, with uh, triceps, like, for poles and stuff. I've done a lot of them. But, like, the 100-mile weeks, I think my, my max week was, like, 85, and that's because I had Georgia Death Race that week. And then I think I had one other 70-mile week, but the most of the other weeks were 50s. I mean, most of them were 50s, and there were some 30s and 40s in there too. So, yeah, I think my my peak week was uh, 84, 85, um, and that was just like creeping up, creeping up to that. Uh, one thing that I've kind of learned uh, is that, you know, there's there's memory there, like, you know, from year to year when you're retraining, it takes me less to kind of get retrained up to the same kind of capability. Uh, Just wanted to uh, give a quick heads up here. Um, David had a little problem with uh, his uh, end of things. His cat jumped on his computer and the audio uh, got interrupted. So um, we had to pause the recording and, uh, re-record this next part, but for some reason, the splicing of the audio um, is a bit off. So uh, please bear with me on this uh, final segment here. It's about 10 minutes, and like I said, the audio gets a little bit jumbled, but I uh, didn't want to cut out the conversation or leave out anything that these gentlemen said. So here they are. Train back up for you know a certain type of a race uh, because there seems to be like a muscle memory there. Um, the coach I used for several years kind of said, you know, said, yeah, that's a thing. Um, also for like elevation training on something like this, uh, you know, I live in Ohio. Um, I used to have a better opportunity for training when I was in Huntsville, Alabama and Montana state park and you know, a lot of rugged climbs and things, but most of my elevation training is, or hill training is a, uh, like a, one mile circuit that covers about 450 feet and it's a combination of steep road climb and descent and steps and i can mix the combination of you know runs up these steep steps in this neighborhood and the the hill to mix it up to where i can you know do anywhere from 250 feet per mile versus 500 feet per one point one and a quarter mile and just doing that over and over again. I think the combination of climbing hills and steps, the steps gives you that 
works different muscles, similar to what some of the climbs we had to do, you know, on Duncan Ridge. I mean, just straight up. There's more step steps than hills at times in terms of steepness. So just something to keep in mind. A lot of people like to do power lines if you can find them. But hiking, hiking, lots of hiking, lots, learn lots of hiking. Fast, you know, it's not all about running. Yep. And you got to learn how to work that fast hiking. And any type of advice you would give anybody looking to do a 200 miler besides maybe not do it? Eight station to eight station, you know, just little increments. Don't look because if you try to look and like the 200, it's just, it's like you'll never, it's, it just feels so long a ways, long ways. Just go from eight station, you know. I was doing 10 miles. That that was my, I would do 10 miles and then I'd, I'd be like, get to this 10 miles and then get to this 10 miles and then get to that 10 miles because I wasn't staking out on the very first loop. So I would just go from, you just section it out to wherever. And then once you, I started knowing the course, it was like, I knew if I got here, I'd be all right, dressed. I was right through here. I could rest out a little bit through this section and then when I got the mulky, I could start cussing again, you know, so. That's for sure. Um, and then anything you guys did um, post-run for recovery, what did you guys, uh, you know, to begin that process? Well, what did that I look really like? Or did you just afterwards. pass out and I'm just, call the day? tired of eating. <laughs> the next day, though, it just seems like I, I cannot, till now, right now, I still feel like I cannot get enough food. I've been eating like crazy since the race, yet I'm dropping weight. You know, oh, wow. I, I first came back, well, I first came back and I was on the scale. I was like, okay, I have never weighed. I weighed <laughs> more than I've had in two years. Not by a lot, but, you know, it was like, but it was like, you know, I think swelling, holding fluids yeah. from, you know, muscle, things like that. And then, but then I'm just still eating all the time. And it's not necessarily like good eating. Ooh, chocolate, you know um cheese i just I, i'm constantly seem to be hungry and yet every day i get on the scale i'm like now i'm down to like under my starting weight for the race it's like it's not out of my, the parameters of my weight range but it's just kind of it's not that's kind of normal after like big like hundred mile races i kind of like you know hold some weight and then it'll just kind of like drop down all of a sudden like my body's like oh well you know it's not burning calories but he's going to start so let's start you know <laughs> but yeah so i haven't usually i'll spend more a lot more walking than i have but uh <laughs> i really just did my first intentional walk yesterday morning of like two and a half miles normally i'd have done that like the day after and kept going but i was like 200 miles plus i'm uh, i'm gonna take a break <laughs> At anything that you guys have noticed that's besides the weight, like, was there anything that you um, didn't anticipate afterwards? Like, what did you find it was easy to sleep or hard to sleep? Um, you know, obviously, it's it's a little bit difficult to, uh, to, to walk around. But, um, anything that you guys have noticed post almost week, you probably I've didn't expect. It's like I've been like, like, I would say words. I was actually calling my wife's sister by a different name. Like one day I was like, I'm going to pick up the 
the supplies for yesterday's job and supposed to say tomorrow's job and just I don't know, it just felt really fuzzy head and and I don't know. Sleep has been great. Uh, I sleep like I sleep like a baby. But just I just feel like I've been fuzzy headed for like the last week, which it's got better today. A lot better today. So <laughs> yeah, I had that for a couple of days after I mean I think I had it most of the race after about the third day. And then yeah. I think it lingered for a couple of days. I didn't really have much in the trouble moving around other than getting out of bed in the morning and feeling a little stiff. But like five minutes later, it really wasn't. But I was at the grocery store the other day. It's a downtown store. And I park on the third floor and I walk down two levels. Walking two flights of steps up, I thought I was going to die. Just It's the first time I was on, did any climbing since the race. And it's like, okay, I, I am completely wiped out in the climbing department right now. That was bizarre. I was like, "Oh God!" Hey, there we go. You can uh, you're wiped out going uphill, and I can't go downhill still. Yeah, uh, I walk downstairs. I see the steps. I'm like, "Is that can I slide on the the railing just to get down?" I'm like, "No, it still hurts to just go downhill still, still." <laughs> oh man! Well, I mean. Once again, tremendous job. Congratulations to both of you. That's uh, amazing, amazing race, amazing yeah. finish. I just want Congrats to say the course record a, and the, a, a the very tie. well-run um, race. And thank you both um, for, for coming on today. I, really I recommend it. it to anyone that, that wants to go for that challenge, that or any of the other H9 races that are out there in the uh, summer. Uh, uh, volunteers were awesome. I mean, they're out there. You know, We leave Fish Gap, and then they basically wait six hours for us to come back. And then they, if we're both, once we're both through, then they probably go home or something or go to the finish line to wait for us. You know, it's like, so, I mean, it was just, I just, they want you to succeed. I mean, a couple of people from the race went out and got some uh, hex screws to put it, you know, in case I wanted to, you know, screw them into my shoes to get up Kusa and uh, brought them to me in case I wanted to use them. And I decided not to, but I mean, that was really nice. Like they want you to succeed and they'll help you as much as they can. Yeah. Yeah. I want to thank all the volunteers that I've run Perry. I've run H nine 50, I think three years this year will be my fourth year. It's one of my favorite races. There's two favorite races, Hellbender and H nine. I love them two races. Just it's the people. It's not, it's not the course. I mean, I love the course and everything. I love to run it, but it's, it's just the people there. There's uh, there's just down to earth people. So, and like he said, they help you out. It's it's good race. Uh, the forty miler, if you don't want to do the two hundred, the forty milers are really good. You know, it's a challenge. It's going to be a challenge. And then the hundreds, another good hundred to run. And it's uh. Plus the one the one good thing about this is you actually so H nine you do not get no views because there's it's all grown up. You go through briars, the Duncan Ridge just briars and it's all grown up. But during the winter, all the leaves are down, so you get all the nice views. And David has a beautiful picture of the sunset. I mean the sunrise. I'm sorry, the sunrise coming. Yeah, one day. Yeah, but it was yeah. It, it was just some amazing stuff on the course. Some scenery was amazing. If you guys don't mind sending me some pictures, that'd be cool to uh, to attach for the podcast. 
Um, but um, I, I, you know, last last bit, like if if people do have um, questions, are you okay with them reaching out? And run, if so, skip, uh, what's the best way Instagram to and Facebook is Michael Patton. So yeah, that's the two ways to get in touch with me. Probably the easiest way to hit me up would be Facebook Messenger, um, David G Holiday, two L's. All right. Well, again, guys, thank you so much for thank you for coming on thank tonight you. and. Uh, really enjoy chatting with you and hearing the story. Amazing, 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 amazing. What more can you say uh, to, uh, to two gentlemen that just completed that 200 mile race? Just phenomenal. Given the conditions, uh, geez, the elevation gain, uh, you know, Michael's knee, uh, just the lack of sleep. Um, gosh, I just, I can't fathom it. Just incredible gentlemen. Thank you. And congratulations once again to both of you. Um, super cool. And on to, to other news. Um, I, uh, want to just take a moment and, uh, give thanks to, uh, to those people that uh, that have really kept running, going, um, kept us motivated, and inspired, um, you know, those people that uh, um, that put on races, race directors, those people that volunteer at the races, uh, you guys are amazing. Um, you know, you've you've continued to give us hope and something to look forward to. Um, just my my sincerest thanks uh, for that. Um, you know, we're, it's, it's my hope, uh, to line up this weekend myself, um, the South mountains marathon and, and 50 K is this Saturday, January 31st and, uh, or January 30th, excuse me. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to that. Um, be racing with, uh, with a friend and athlete I coach Eric Martinez. Um, so I'm looking forward to, to our opportunity to be out there and enjoying the trails. And thank you to uh, to Brandon Thrower for for making it a reality, and to his staff and and all those that help him and all his volunteers. Um, very cool. Um, also, you know, a, a huge thank you to uh, to my Patreon supporters. Um, I couldn't do all of this, um, you know, without the support of not only them but you guys for listening, for sharing, for liking and subscribing. So um, thank you all so much for for that support and continuing to help this podcast grow. Um, I, I really, I hope you've been enjoying it. Uh, you know, there's a lot more to come, obviously. Um, I, I really enjoy this, um, and getting to talk to other runners and hearing their stories. Um, if you have a story that you'd like to share or a topic you'd like to hear about, you know, just send me an email running pains at gmail.com. That would be great. Um, you know, last week I shared the news about hellbender, uh, and man, you know, it's, uh, it's been great. The outpouring of support that, uh, that has come, uh, you know, with, with sharing the news, I really can't thank you all enough for that. Um, I do look forward to, to bringing that, that event back and, um, you know, hopefully having it, uh, better than ever. So, uh, if you want to help out to whatever capacity, uh, you know, uh, please reach out to me as well. I really, uh, really can't thank those that, that do, all they do to make that race what it is. I can't thank them enough. So thank you very much. Um, to my athletes, gosh, uh, we have such a team right now. Um, 
you know, we have people that are obviously doing amazing things like Michael to people that are doing amazing things, like just getting back to being able to run a 5k. Um, you know, we, we've started with, with some run walks and built them up and you know, regain some fitness and put them at actually new levels of fitness. So it's exciting on, on either side of the spectrum. Um, we've got, uh, Thad McNeil coaching with me now. So if, if you're looking for a coach or thinking about a coach, you know, please reach out to us. We'd love to have a conversation with you and, and see if we can uh, be the right fit for you. Uh, no distance is too small and obviously none too great. We are, we're here for all and we appreciate that opportunity. Um, I'm also making 12 and 16 week um, individualized plans. So uh, you can go on my website, mrrunningpains.com and check out under coaching. Uh, there's the two different plans. Uh, it's, we can also do a 20 week plan. Um, I have somebody interested in a 20 week plan. So, um, by all means, you know, jump on there, check those out that it just involves a phone call. So, uh, I can kind of learn about you and, and kind of understand what your expectations, goals, and races are. Uh, and then I build a plan, um, based on our conversation. And then we'll have a second conversation after I've built the plan, a follow-up to make sure that everything is good. And, uh, you know, you're on your way. You don't have to have uh, coaching. You know, there's nobody looking over your shoulder. It's just a plan that you can follow to hopefully uh, achieve your goal. Um, so those are also on the website. So check those out. And uh, other than that, um, man, you know, everything's good here. Um my wife had the vaccine, so um, I'm, I'm yeah, a little bit more relieved. Um, now my parents turn, so I hope uh, you know you and your families are are safe and healthy, um, and it all goes well in your neck of the woods. And uh, man, I'm, I'm hoping for a, a cool 2021. Lord knows what uh, what it will bring. Um, outside of uh, the fact that uh, I'm happy just to be around my family and being able to run, but, um, you know, let's, uh, we'll, we'll find out, you know, what adventures are in store for all of us. So thank you for everybody for listening. Um, you know, if, if you're, um, able to support on Patreon again, thank you so much. Um, links are on the website. If you, uh, if you're thinking about it, that's wonderful. But as I always say, not necessary, you know, you can please just share the podcast, like it, uh, leave a review, help others find it. That's, that's tremendous as well. I really do appreciate the support everyone. And until I talk to you next time, this is Aaron Saft episode 50, almost to uh 52 or one year of uh, podcasting. So thank you guys. Thank you for everything. Take care of yourselves and I'll talk to you next week.